Bom dia, what's up everyone? Hello from Lisbon, Portugal. The first country in the world to decriminalize drugs. All the way back in 2001, a radical approach to combating the scourge of addiction and overdoses. At the time, that has been unanimously hailed as a success on all accounts and a model for other liberal democracies to aspire towards. I'm staying in the historic Alfama neighborhood here, which is one of the most breathtakingly beautiful patchworks of narrow cobblestone streets built into a foundation of rock descending from Lisbon's famous panoramic viewpoint hilltops down into the waterfront here. As the scripture goes, the wise man built his house upon the stone. And it's because of this solid foundation that the Alfama neighborhood survived the devastating Lisbon earthquake of 1755, which means that many of the famous buildings and churches here are much, much older than in other parts of the city some dating back to the 15th century. It's a truly spectacular location and I'm very grateful to have an opportunity to experience life here for a few days. Today on the podcast, we've got Tomas Garrett to talk about his mycopreneurial venture, the Mycozine, a physical zine that showcases and highlights mushroom entrepreneurs and activists across the United States. I've got each of the five editions of the Mycozine that have been released thus far, and they're among my most treasured myco community artifacts. I've got one more day here in Lisbon, and I'm going to get out and explore this Alfama district a little more extensively and grab a tiny coffee, because they're all espressos here when you order a coffee, as well as an iconic pastel de nata, which is a Portuguese egg custard tart pastry. We'll see what the day brings. Thanks so much for joining us here. Please consider rating and reviewing the Mycopreneur podcast wherever you're listening. Every review truly helps. This podcast is brought to you by Microboost. M-Y-C-R-O-B-O-O-S-T. I use their functional mushroom products on a daily basis. Got the cordyceps and lion's mane. Got the reishi. Got the turkey tail. And you got it in many different forms too. Capsule form. Gummy form. And my personal favorite, the Mushroom Coffee from Microboost. Staying dialed in with a functional mushroom regimen on a daily basis has helped fortify my immune system and keep me afloat and pumping. I encourage you to check them out and to try their mushroom products for yourself. That's Microboost. That's M-Y-C-R-O-B-O-O-S-T. This podcast is also brought to you by Inoculate the World, the industry standard for clean, viable mushroom spores, and mycology equipment. Go get yourself some spores and associated materials and merchandise at inoculatetheworld.com. All right, everybody, without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Hey, Pasa Mufasa, Nihao, Konnichiwa, Shalom, Salam Aleikum. We've got Tomas Garrett of Mycozine in the house. What's up, Tomas? How you doing? Oh, man, I'm big blessed. I woke up breathing today, and I've been excited to talk to you for so long. So this is, this is really uh, cool for me, man. Well, for those who can't see because you're listening right now, Tomas has the most badass Amanita Muscaria cap on. Let's start there. What's the story behind this hat? Man, real shit. I was in some sessions back in the day, these underground markets, and I was looking for a way to differentiate myself. And so I took some, like, boxes from Home Depot or something, and I fashioned them into a triangle, and I figured, how do I make it look like a real Amanita? Um, this is like the fourth iteration, though. Uh, and so it's a really cool way for me to just openly let people know, I want to talk about mushrooms. And they see a dude wearing a mushroom hat, and they're like... 
Shit, this guy's approachable. He's a goofball. Let's go say what's up. Well, you're in the right place to talk about mushrooms and be a goofball. So welcome to the podcast, man. We've been talking about this for a minute. I got to tap in with you last weekend in Los Angeles. And let's start there. What was the second California Psychedelic Conference like for you, Tomas? Dude, it was such a trip. I mean, honestly, I thought this was one of the best conferences we've had yet. And in the fashion of how we make things happen out of like magic, the week before we actually switched the venue. So Reggie and I were in L.A., bouncing around to like eight different venues and we found that one it was the one and then when everything came together met a bunch of really cool people it was really psychedelic man you know i've been to both of the conferences and my favorite thing bar none about them is how much you guys as the organizers lean into the community it doesn't feel like there's this delineation between like presenter and audience obviously there are panels where that happens but there's way more confluence going on there's way more of an open exchange of ideas people networking people hanging out and in one case with the fishbowl conversations that mike margolis was running the the audience was actually integrated into the panel and there were you know there was no separation between audience and and organizer and it's just something really special that i think is it's something that I hope more people get to experience. So I hope you all never stop doing conferences and thank you for inviting me. Oh, 100%. And I'm just so glad you can make it because I know you've been on this massive tour going all over the world and I know you need this rest. So I'm, I'm so glad you made it back to Chiapas, uh, but you were able to make it out and hang out with us. Yeah, man, like that ability for people to come together and organically talk about mushrooms, it's one of the things that I live for, man, because most cultivators and most people who talk about mushrooms it's a solo journey. You know, they're figuring out a lot of this stuff by themselves. Sure, they'll go on Reddit. Sure, they'll go on Instagram or whatever. But most of this has to be kind of hush-hush. And so when we have these conferences, people get a chance to step out and just be like, hey, this is me. That authenticity, man, that's the real deal. And you've been really integrated with the mushroom community for a minute now. And one of the things I've seen you're doing is you're taking people on forays, right? You're going out morel hunting and you're posting Instagram clips of you guys foraying and going with these groups and educating people. How'd you get started doing the forays and what does that whole community scene look like for you these days? Me and my sister were just up at Grizzly Peak one time, and we'd been really excited about mushrooms because Ian and I had been working with Reggie at this company back in 2019. We had just started talking about this stuff, and uh, we were like, fuck, let's just go look for some mushrooms. And so we just like climbed up a hill, and we we're like, oh, they're right there. Oh, they're right there. That was like my first real foray of just bucking around and going in the woods. But then uh, when we had an event in Arcata, this crazy cool dude, a uh, Humboldt fungi, he's like one of the headiest cats I've ever met. And this dude's just like, you know, I like the psychedelic, I like the magic and whatnot, but really, I'm just trying to get people to go out in the woods with me and look at the real mushrooms. And I was like, damn, dude, you get the point, man, like get in nature. And then so in addition, I think it was two, was the first one that I started putting in people's like foraging stuff. And I, I included people from the community and what they foraged. And then when we got to edition um, three, I didn't, ha I had like a little bit of foraging in there. So we got Michael Tyson mushrooms put in the puffballs. Um, but then at four, we actually got uh, some submissions from a bunch of different foragers. Like Desert Alchemist, somebody that I met at the last LA conference. Um, we got spawning around L Firefly. She's an amazing forager who took me and Ian on this like, foray and food thing in the woods where we had these amazing what were the pickled fennel um yeah just a bunch of cool people we got veterans walk and talk on here wumbo mike wumbo michael 
And it's evolved now. Like you said, I'm now going on forages and whatnot. And so this is like the rough draft printing of the newest edition. But I actually now have uh, QR codes where you can like scan into them and see our foraging adventures that we've gone on. And so that's been a really cool part for me to just get out in nature with people and talk about all kinds of mushrooms and just experience the trees, man. That's just so cool to me. And I want to talk about how you decided to launch a physical product, right? The Mycozine actually goes out to people. I've got the first four editions. I've got three of them on hand right here. I believe you're on edition five. Is that correct that you're heading towards right now? Just printed edition five today and it's being shipped out to California. So it'll be here and I'll be folding on my way out to the Denver Maps Conference. But the way this all started, the physical idea, dude... It's such a trip. It happened in like four hours on a flight from Cleveland. So I was visiting my love out in Cleveland, Cynthia, and I had just visited her on the way back. I was like, I could either go to sleep and take a nap, or I can lean into like my creativity. And I think I was on book 20. This is book 23. I literally just tore out a page, folded it up like a zine, and sketched out the first whatever iterations of like what was going to be in edition one. This was like two weeks before the uh, Oakland Psychedelic Conference last year. I went to Office Depot, printed out 100 copies, used my membership to get like 20% off, way overpriced, like super overpriced. I think I was paying like 3 or $4 a copy, but I just said, fuck it, I'm investing in myself and this idea. And I was at the conference literally folding them up, trying to get to 100, writing them on it, because I thought it would be a fun way to have a memento for the conference, you know, it said Oakland Psychedelic Conference, and I wanted people to have something that was tangible, that was, uh, didn't take too much attention span. I mean, this is six little pages, you know, in the age of the internet, everybody has like a two second attention span. So I printed out a hundred copies, they weren't cut right, it was just pieces of paper, and the reception was so much love that I said, you know what, I think we can do this. So I started looking into, um, more and more uh, supply chain things like how do I get better printing and I, I print them back in Wisconsin now I got them on better paper cheaper higher quality now I developed a team to help me out got my buddy Ian doing a lot of the the background digital work but it was really all because every time we go to these conferences man people would be like yo how this is incredible like how do we get to talk about mushrooms like how did this happen and this is amazing. When, when, when do we get to do this again? And I'd look at them and be like, see you next year. And it's like, wait, but what do we, what do we do in between? And so that's what this is. Like, this is just a place for me to highlight what other people in the community are doing so that you don't have to wait till next year's conference to stay tapped in with this community. That's like doing the thing. Yeah, it's just, it's a special thing to have a physical product in the age of ubiquitous digital information and write them all this endless scrolling and all that. And I think that's one of the reasons I love vinyl records too, right? Like I'm kind of, I got one foot in each world. Like I've got my Spotify playlist. I value that. But like I have a vinyl collection. I love to have a physical object and you know, I've got these in my studio and I've got a huge sticker collection and art collection of sport print art and stuff like that. There's something really poetic and beautiful about having that tangible physical product that you can hold and that can connect you 
to the community and like I've got you know stories about where I got these like oh I can remember being in Oakland and Tomas comes up and has one of these for me you know and then in Denver he's going to be out there with them so it's just a really cool community driven initiative which I think is very special right is like when I think about fungi and especially with psychedelics which the Haifei Labs leans into pretty heavily I think about this sense of community how important it is in this era right now of a lot of people being quite divided actually and a lot of you know like coming out of the pandemic where everybody was online the whole time like there's something really special about that in-person community that's palpable that's you know and having a product that can connect you to that and that's why when I open up my mycozine like it brings me back to all these good memories you know and you mentioned a lot of the names there Wumbo Myco and Mike Tyson and people like that right all these people listed on the back Michael Symbiote, right? Everybody knows him. And TTF Willie, shout out Willie Maiko. A lot of people who have been on the program. I love that we have a mushroom community here and I love how goofy a lot of us are, you know, and, and keeping it a little bit weird and owning that weirdness. Now let's go back a little bit. What got you into mushrooms in the first place? Surely there was a point in time where you had a cathartic experience, you know, in some way, shape or form that made you want to start pursuing mushrooms you know, on a more personal and more, uh, more in-depth and focused basis. So this is a fun one for me to talk about, like how I got started with the mushrooms, because there's two real main things. There's like my introduction into the science and this current mushroom community. And then like my first experience with mushrooms, like my first experience with mushrooms, I was probably like 12 years old. And I think I had somebody in my family tell me like, Hey, you ever hear about these things? And I'm like, what? And they're like, they're growing on cow shit. And I was like, ew, that's disgusting, right? But I'm from Wisconsin. This is a dairy state. So like mushrooms that grow on cow shit were abundant. And when I was like 18 or 19, I was in college. And me and my like my best friend, uh, we, we actually own a house together back home. Like this is my day one ride or die homie homie. Um, we did the thing. And like... I think we had tried it once, but I think we split an eighth and it wasn't enough. And then so like we did the thing where we, I think we got like five grams and we split it just so we had a little bit more than two grams. And it was one of the most epic experiences of my life. I remember it was the first time I was at the bluffs of La Crosse, Wisconsin, looking over the Mississippi River Valley. And I was in these trees and I just started bawling because I saw the trees breathing. And I remember realizing like, whoa, these... I am, we are, this, whoa, like oneness, right? That was like my first introduction to the mycelium in like a personal way. Um, but I was in college and I'm going to keep it real with you. Mushrooms to me weren't as spiritual at that point. It was like a, we're kids, we're partying, we're having fun. But then like over the years after taking them a few times, I realized that like, damn, it didn't really feel fun to be in parties like it was way cooler to go back onto those bluffs like where i was seeing the trees breathe and i literally was brought to tears um so my relationship with the mushrooms spans back over a decade but i was just talking to ian four years ago i met the guy when we were working at this cannabis lab in berkeley california i just moved from wisconsin to california to pursue my dreams you know i spent a couple years working as a food scientist doing a bunch of wet chemistry um for a billion dollar uh, food and water testing and drug testing lab. And uh, I found out I could double my salary to move to California. So I moved out, I just hopped in a car, drove out, and I met this guy, Ian, 
and we were just cool. You know, we used to just go to this place called Nordic House and get sandwiches. Um, and one day we're walking to get sandwiches, and he's like, dude, there's this decriminalized nature event. Oakland just decriminalized mushrooms. And I bet there's somebody who wants to find out what's going on inside of these mushrooms. And I was like, well, shit, who better to test that than like cannabis scientists? Like we literally test the unknown compounds inside of these, you know, fruiting body matrices. But it was cannabis. And I was like, it's, it's just the same thing, but with a different plant. Um, we go to this meeting and just as we're about to sit down, this guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, there's a spot next to you. Do you mind if I sit down? And I'm like, hell yeah. We chop it up a little bit. I'm like, dude, you got to come with me. There's this really cool church. Well, that guy was Reggie and that church was Dave's church. And the rest was kind of history. Because the next time I saw a dude, we were in Jamaica talking business about how we were going to like introduce this to the world. Uh, this whole concept of testing psychedelic mushrooms. So sorry, a little long winded, but that's that's how I got into the mushrooms. Yeah, that's a pretty fortuitous, right? That you got to come into this incredible network that you're still rocking with in a lot of ways and still actively building with. And, you know, this last event, I think, was a continuation of that first meeting, right? It's uh, directly connected to it, which is just wild. So you're headed out to Denver next week, as I am uh, also going to be there. What's bringing you out to Denver? And is this going to be the first time that you've connected with like the, you know, more international community? Cause so far these events that you've been running have been in California, but I, I understand, well, of course there have been other hyphae events, but like the California psychedelic conference, the Oakland psychedelic conference, but I understand that the hyphae team is working on going international. Is that something that you're able to talk about a little bit about this kind of vision to maybe start holding some more conferences and events outside of the United States? Yeah, man, I was actually just talking to Reggie yesterday and he goes, you know, we got we got the uh, the lineup of what we're doing this this summer. You know, we're going to be bouncing around. I think he's going to be in uh, Vermont. We'll be in Minnesota. We'll be in Denver. Uh, we'll be at Microfest in uh, Pennsylvania. He's like, we're going to throw the Oakland Psychedelic Conference and we're going to do the National Conference in D.C. But after that, no more America. We're going to Jamaica. And so he's the type of guy to do these things a little last minute or like keep the anticipation building. I mean, he's planning along the way, but it's mostly need to know, you know. Um, and so all I know is we're going to Jamaica next year. When that's going to happen, I would imagine spring or summer. But uh, it's about damn time, man. Like we've been in, I think Ian and I were counting the other day. I think we got like nine or ten different places we've been uh, from coast to coast, from Arcata to Portland to Denver to Oakland and LA, but even in DC and New York and Pennsylvania. So um, I think it's about damn time that we expand out to the international community. Yeah, man, I'm pumped because Reggie had shared that with me as well. And I thought, let's go. Like, why not? There's such a global community of fungi advocates too, and people working with it. And there's a lot going on in Jamaica, as we all know, where psilocybin mushrooms are fully legal and have had the world's first legal psilocybin mushroom industry, uh, not counting Amsterdam, which outlawed fruiting body mushrooms in like 2008, right? And they still got the truffles kind of in that loophole. But if you're looking for psilocybin mushroom and a legal industry around them, I think Jamaica is probably the number one place you could go for that, as as a lot of us know. Now, let's let's loop back to this testing a little bit, something that Hyphae Labs has been at the vanguard of. I didn't realize that you and Ian had this four-year history and that you come 
both from the cannabis background. I'm familiar a little bit with some of Ian's stories since he's been on the podcast. But this is something that comes up a lot more and more. And I was wondering if you'd want to talk about this Guardian article that recently came out. And I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but essentially it was kind of a clickbaity, fear-mongering piece that was talking about how dangerous the gray market for mushroom products are. And my initial reaction was one of, this journalist is not very connected to a lot of what you guys are doing and what many very competent and ethical operators are doing in the space, which is testing compounds. And they really took this sort of, this reefer madness, hysteria inducing line of like, when you get a mushroom chocolate or a mushroom product, you don't know what's in it. And actually these have been proven to be research chemicals. And that certainly exists, but I think that what Haifei Labs is doing and what a lot more, you know, what more and more scientists are doing is a direct answer to that. So how has that whole process gone for you of like testing, being at the vanguard of mushroom testing? And if somebody was really concerned about, you know, a chocolate they got or whatever, where would you advise them to, to you know, get that chocolate tested? That's a, that's a really complicated question for me to answer, but I'll try to keep it as simple as possible because... One of the reasons why we even started this testing was, you know, before this happened, you just got mushrooms. You, and it was, from a, it was from a guy or a girl, whatever, but that either acquired them somewhere, grew them in their closet. There was no real quality control behind it. It was just like, got a bag of shrooms, you know? And so same thing with chocolates. Back in the day, you really kind of just got to trust your source or you got to like find out who's producing these things. And so unfortunately, the reason why the hysteria exists is because um, much like in the cannabis vaping industry, there was these things called dank vapes, right? Uh, it was a legitimate brand, but then it got copied to the nines. I mean, everybody just bought these boxes and started stuffing their own stuff in there. And so unfortunately that's happening within the mushroom space. But what's really cool about the mushroom space now is there's actually like, reputable product makers like humble mycology makes some super bomb chocolates Wusa makes some super bomb chocolates humble fungi makes some super bomb stuff you know what i'm saying like and those are real people that you can get to meet and so that's how you can trust it it really starts with developing those relationships but then when it comes to testing like now there are labs that are are in, including us working to create chocolate methodology so we can find out what's safe in there but Honestly, the, the best way to go about it is just to know your sources as best as you can. And frankly, if you can grow them yourselves, that's the only like real way to make sure that the product is safe. Because you're the one putting your love into it. You're the one knowing, am I cutting corners to like make sure that whatever capitalistic gains I'm trying to make are happening? Or do I just want this experience of like self-reflection and, and diving into my own psyche for myself? So it, it's a double-edged sword because like there's totally people out here trying to capitalize. There's totally people out here who are putting in research chemicals and doing that. But you don't really have to be that concerned if you know where you're getting your stuff from. And if, if it's a real person, you just got to talk to them and say, hey, where did this come from? You know, did you buy it off of somebody or did you make it yourself? Because nine times out of ten, if they made it themselves, it's probably a lot cleaner. Preach. I think that was such a wonderful and articulate answer. So you did a great job at that. And I arrived at very similar conclusions myself. I've been a big fan of knowing your grower or growing yourself for as long as possible. And I just think that when you start to paint this picture of like 
the dangerous mushroom chocolate and you start to in, involve the media with that and amplify that message. That's what invites like really, really uh, a, a lot of intense and strict regulation, which is typically hierarchical. And I think a lot of what your community is doing and myself and many people are doing is like trying to have some measure of community autonomy and not just saying, oh, we have to immediately defer to some regulatory governing body that is outside of the community that gets to come in and make all the decisions. Like, I think that creating the investing and creating community structures and transparency as much as possible is going to be a net win for everybody. And, you know, frankly, I think the Haife organization has been at the vanguard of that too, you know, as far as you know, involving the community, listening to the community and responding in a lot of ways. So kudos to you for that one. Now let's talk about how the Oakland community has been impacted since mushrooms were decriminalized because, you know, as Reggie has said, he thinks that Oakland is the Mecca of mushrooms. There's a lot of mushroom use, certainly more than in other jurisdictions in the United States. Like there's probably a lot more mushroom availability and use in Oakland than there is in a you know smaller Midwest town or something. So I'm just curious, like how have you seen the community positively grow? And are there any concerns that you've noticed over the last couple of years? Just like, you know, what is it? What is the growth of the Oakland community been like since mushrooms were decriminalized? Well, I'll put it this way. I'm like the mycelium. Like I really try to be like the mushrooms and get everywhere, sporulate, get underground, get overground, all of it, right? And uh, one of my pathways into the mushroom community was through these things called sessions. Um, so I've been a member of Dave's church since 2018. And that story is kind of a trip too. I was coming out to Berkeley and LA and Sacramento looking for jobs in the cannabis space. And I stayed at this Airbnb. And the host of the Airbnb was this blind lady. And next door in the room, I hear, <laughs> I'm like, somebody doing math or like somebody taking a dab. I go to the next room and sure as shit, this blind woman is just like ripping a fat dab. And I'm like, yo, that's crazy. And she's like, actually, I'm running out soon. Uh, you have a car, right? Yeah. Can you take me to my spot? It's this place called church. And I was like, sure. Now she was legally blind, couldn't really see, but she could see colors. And so literally hop in my car and based on the lights, she took me from Alameda to the church. We took like two lefts, two rights, and we were there. And this blind lady takes me into the church, blind leading the blind. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I walk into this place and uh, it became like my local bar. Like I was still going to a business school, getting my MBA in Wisconsin because long story short, it was cheaper to still stay in-state tuition in Wisconsin and fly back and forth than it would have been to go to school in California. And so every Wednesday I'd be in the church rolling up some blunts, zooming into class, doing accounting homework. Um, and that was my spot. And then maybe a six months, nine months into being in the church, Dave knocks down the wall, expands the church a little bit. And they had these things on Tuesdays called sessions. Now, one of my homies, uh, at vibrant minds, another, uh, amazing mushroom company. Uh, my, my boy tells me like, yo, you gotta come on Tuesdays. You pay like 10 bucks. And then there's a session. And there was like five vendors who came in and like undercut Dave's prices. And I was like, what? I can get even cheaper, better weed? And, and like mushrooms? What? But they weren't selling mushrooms at the point. And I was like, this is crazy. So I followed a couple of the vendors and then I found out like, whoa, this isn't the only session. I then bounced around 
And I found out that there's a session Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and in fact, in multiple cities. And every single day of the week throughout the state of California, there's like three to four of these pop-up markets where people sell mushrooms and, and weed, but it wasn't mushrooms. And so in early 2020, I saw like one, maybe two vendors had a little jar on the side with mushrooms. And that's when I was like, yo, we just decriminalized last year. What if we started coming to these sessions and like really just saying, hey, there's the mushrooms here. Since then, now there's probably like three or four just mushroom vendors at all of these sessions. And so that's like a real barometer on the streets, on the people of Oakland, on the people of California and what they're partaking in. And so I've personally seen since the decriminalization, the access massively expand from instead of just being at Dave's church to now all these pop-up markets all over. And whereas it used to be just cannabis, now you get other plant medicines involved. And I think that's uh, really cool. You'll even see people slinging mushrooms over by the Lake Merritt uh, during some of the, the Saturdays and Sundays when pop-up markets are there too. Word, I've been hearing about that. I haven't seen it myself yet, but you know, I've been over to New York and seen similar where there's a lot of vendors setting up in the parks or in various streets. And I, I lived in San Francisco for five years and would see that occasionally in Golden Gate Park. They weren't usually so open, to be honest. I think maybe that's a way that has changed since I was there. You know, they were pretty forthright when they would tell you that they had things for sale. But I don't recall ever seeing like a table in the Bay Area with a setup of somebody selling mushrooms or or cannabis. Yeah. So that's that's certainly something new that I think the decriminalization and the general culture has been emboldened a little bit. And also just in terms of like the community impact, it's something that quite a few people have shared their testimony about at the conference in L.A. about how mushrooms have helped them to redefine their sense of masculinity in some cases, like where maybe they were born into really challenging social circumstances, you know, in gang neighborhoods and things like that, and like surrounded by temptations and violence and hard drug use and things like that and how their relationships and experience with mushrooms actually helped them to lift themselves out of that and be more present and be more loving and more accepting. Is that anything that you've like tangibly noticed in the Oakland community since more people have started turning on to mushrooms? Yo, as soon as you started saying this, the first person that came to mind was uh, the third person on the first edition, my guy, Brother Peace. Man, Peace has dealt with some serious... I mean, he's even gotten gotten shot, you know what I mean? Living in these neighborhoods that are not necessarily the safest places to be. And his relationship with these entheogens and these plant medicines has transformed him into now going by Brother Peace, where he truly emanates peace in every single thing that he can do because of the trauma that he's faced and because of that insight that he's gained from these psychedelic plants and medicines. And so not only him um, and his transformation has affected the people around him, but now he started organizations with another homie from the hood, uh, Official Trap Nature, another cat who was completely involved in like the street life that now he is like an expert on plant life and reptiles and the the local fauna uh, in these woods. And they started an organization called From the Hood to the Woods, where everybody gets together and now there's like 70 to 100 people who will meet up and just go to these amazing hikes and we'll look for mushrooms, we'll be in nature. And some people will be on microdoses where we're like doing this community healing together. So like that's a very specific and tangible example of how people are healing. But even just wearing his hat, man, people will walk up to me and they'll be like, yo, mushrooms. 
And then I'll say, hey, what's your experience? And I just constantly get more and more feedback of these things have changed my life. These things have changed my relationship with myself, with my family, with the community around me. And so this is coming from people in upper echelon jobs in the uh, peninsula in San Francisco who never seen any of this violence to people who are really from the streets and everybody in between is really transforming. So it's creating bridges for all different types of people from all different socioeconomic statuses to come together around a singular thing. And that's just like freeing our minds. It's pretty straightforward, right? I've seen that and through being involved with the communities you mentioned, seeing Brother Peace several times in person. And I think that transformation is something that hopefully we're seeing more and more as these entheogens become more accessible to people, which is also a topic of discussion right now about like, you know, how do you structure a community so that if somebody is nervous about trying these things, maybe they heard stigmas about them. Like, you know, in my own community, I know people who have a great anxiety around psychedelics because of all the cultural baggage that they carry, right? And like, I just got plugged yesterday with a longtime friend who is very, I wouldn't say anti-psychedelic, but doesn't want to touch them, you know, because they're afraid of whatever, you know, the cultural baggage. They connected me to one of their veteran friends who has had radical transformations in their own life from their relationship with mushrooms. And to me, like getting a text from this person about mushrooms, introducing me to another mushroom person, I never saw that coming. So I'm just thinking like, you know, when you're, you're talking to your family member or someone in the hood, you know, who maybe doesn't have a frame of reference for the power of entheogens and of mushrooms, how do you invite them into a community? Like what's a good way to bring people in and make them feel comfortable and secure when they're, you know, navigating these very tricky times of, hey, are the mushrooms good for me? Or, you know, the government and my education has told me that psychedelics might make me go crazy. Like how, how do you hold that and encounter that and, and bring people into the fold of what you're doing? What you said totally made me think of this one organization and a really good mentor and brother in the community, uh, Sasway. Um, and his wife, Masan. I met them actually when working with Carlos from Decriminalized Nature to create the Oakland Community Healing Initiative. This is like a precursor to SB 519 and now SB 58. Um, and actually, you could see us featured on, uh, I think it's like Michael Pollan's uh, How to Change Your Mind on Netflix. I think I'm like in the background on edition or episode four or something. But like I met these folks who actually even though we met through the context of psychedelics, they structured the concept of community first. What does it look like to build with people? And when I think about uh, Sisue and Misan, I, I realize that like, yo, if you really want to be about the community, be about the community. Don't try to put shit on the community. And, and as capitalist society has conditioned us to think like if we have something good, we need to share it. But sharing is actually a process. And to share with somebody, you actually have to build with them first. You know, you have to actually build these relationships and hold space for people before you start asking them, have you tried this thing? Do you do this thing? Da, 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 da. And so my actually learning from that, my technique into introducing people who might have skepticisms or who might traditionally be like, nah, I don't touch that stuff. Like I'm cool on weed, you know? I say, hey, not try these, try these. I say, hey, what's your experience? I'm like, no, I don't try that. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. What have you heard about them? Because I've heard some crazy stories. And as soon as you make it relatable and say, yo, there's been some weird things that I've heard too, but like, I just like talking about them. What's your experience? 
All of a sudden, you're putting the ball in their court to say, hey, I'm listening to you, and I want to hear what your life is like. I want to hear what your experience is. Even if they've never tried mushrooms, they can totally tell you, oh, yeah, I had a cousin who tried them. Actually, he said it was pretty smooth. Oh, maybe I should talk. To and then I'll say, hey, why don't you talk to them about it or something like that. But it's really just like hearing somebody out and seeing who they are and meeting them where they're at. That's actually step one. Before you can engage in any of this extra blah, 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 you need to meet somebody where they're at and say, hey, how are you doing? What's your day looking like? What are the struggles you're facing? And if it's applicable, yo, this is what I do for myself. But really just hearing people out first is the best mechanism. Because as soon as you start trying to push something on somebody, especially from the hood, they're like, say less. I don't want this. Peace. And maybe not even peace, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome to do it that way. I've, it took me a while to figure that out because when I was younger and I first got turned on to mushrooms, I was a very outspoken evangelist, I think, for like what they could do. But I also just assumed that other people would have the experience that I had. And I learned like that's not always the case. You know, people come when they're ready. And like as I got a little bit older, I got this white in my beard now. I started to realize like, People would ask me when they're ready, you know, and that's kind of how I've taken it with like my peer group. You know, I come from a pretty conservative background and a lot of them, it's like, you know, if you want to talk about it, you can ask me, you know, and I want to lead by by living my best life and having people excited about, you know, who I am and how I show up. And then maybe they're curious about it. And like, that's been a far more effective approach, right? Than trying to push something like trying to be, you know, knocking on someone's door and like, excuse me, do you have a minute to talk about mushrooms? Like, I think there's something that, you know, people are built, have this defense mechanism built in. And so just like leading by example. And also I, I try to look for tangible impacts. Like, okay, I had a mushroom experience or a psychedelic experience. What does that actually mean in my life and my community? You know, it's that saying of like, if a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, did it actually happen? And I think it's the same with a mushroom experience. Like if you had a mushroom experience and then you didn't actually improve your life or benefit your community in some way, what was the point of that experience? And that's sort of the way that I like to think about it. Just trying to, you know, have tangible, measurable impacts, you know, and like starting projects. Like I think what you started with the mycozine, like that's a really cool way that you can invest some of what you've learned from your experience, not just with psychedelics, but with all mushrooms, right? So let, let's take it there. We've been talking a little bit about psychedelics, but the mycozine is so much more than that, right? You're going out on forays and you've got all these different people you're showcasing. And, you know, I'm looking right here through it. And I do love how quick and straight to the point it is. And like, it's very visually appealing aesthetically, but like, what are some of the other mushrooms on your forays that you've recently gained an appreciation for and learned about? Yo, so this past month has been one of the most blessed experiences I've ever had in terms of foraging. I got another cultivator who's on the back of one of these editions, Stabbin McDabbin, my buddy Walt. He hits me up like, I'm gonna go morel hunting, da da da. And I was like, yo, what do I gotta do? Let's go. And so me and another buddy of mine, L, we drive out to uh, pick him up in, uh, in the Central Valley and we drove up to the El Dorado National Forest. Bro, we found like two and a half pounds of morel mushrooms. We were just boom, 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 boom all day. And these are supposed to be some of the rarest mushrooms, the hardest things to find. They sell for a ton of money in the markets, completely legal, edible, delicious mushrooms. And then... At the end of a full day, like, um, I was driving and it was like probably like four o'clock and I was like, ah, you guys, I think we should, you know, keep it moving because we drove so far out here. 
And then I was like, well, we can stay for a little bit more. And both the guys were like, yeah. And so we stayed till like sundown. And as we're walking back to the car, we found like 10 pounds of Spring King Bolites. Later confirmed that we even found them before I think Alan Rockefeller found one. So we were like ahead of the pack of finding the Spring Kings. We were like one of the first people out there. That was the coolest thing ever. Uh, I think the week later, went back out, but this time with Wumbo and a friend, uh, A, and we found this dog. We found the coolest Morel ever. It, we named this dog Morcella. Um, a completely sad and unfortunate situation that this little puppy was abandoned, but like, I can describe it by no other way than God wanted us to find this dog. We're walking back to the car. It's completely dark. And I can only describe it as like what is a burn pile, literally like excess wood meant to be burned. We hear a little, and so like I put uh, the QR code in the magazine, but like, here's the, here's the puppy, this amazing little puppy. And you see my hat for reference. This thing is like this big. Uh, we found that. And so that was the coolest morel. I think that's the coolest mushroom I ever found. Was a, was a little dog in the woods after we had just found pounds of one of the most rare mushrooms on earth. And over the past couple months, like, I've completely dove in where now two pages of the, the last edition are focused on morels. Some on identification, on how to differentiate between uh, Gyrometra escalenta, which is a common mistaking one, and uh, the morels with submissions from our buddy... Um, Hernan at Desert Alchemist. And so then I looked up on IG all the amazing foragers who are out here doing the work. Uh, and I and then I was introduced to new uh, accounts like um, the Forager Poet and Laurel Morel. Holy cow. I don't even know Laurel Morel. I'm just like a huge fan now. This, this woman goes out into nature and just like puts these amazing super scientific breakdowns of how to find these mushrooms. And then there's this uh, amazing lady, Appalachian Forager. Dude, she's so fun, has the funniest videos. And it's like, it's a really cool way to make going out into nature so much more accessible. It makes it so much more fun. And so by just going out into the woods to find these mushrooms, I feel like I'm now introduced into a whole new community of mushrooms that I wasn't before. Cause like, like you said, I was focused a lot more on psychedelics, but now I'm learning all about all these foragers who forage for way more than even just mushrooms. And so now I'm learning about how to identify trees and how to identify ferns and plants. Like, dude, this is a gateway. This is like what you said with the mushroom experience. You have an opportunity to open the door, but if you don't choose to do something with it or act upon it, did you even do it? Well, I'm walking through those doors. I'm not just talking about foraging. I'm going out in the woods. We're taking pictures and we're inviting our friends. Let's go. Yeah, I'm coming next time, all right? And I'm bringing my dog, so you can bring Morcella, I'll bring Rupert. Shit, I'm coming down to Chiapas, and we can go forage it down there. Bienvenidos. Let's go, man. You know, we got our festival coming up, the Yui Fest. Going to have all kinds of amazing things, including mycopigments. We're going to be doing mushroom paper. Going to be sculpting clay, making mushroom tea cups and coffee cups. Of course, the forays out here, which are some of the most... It's one of the most robust funga anywhere on the planet. It's one of the reasons that I came here and have stayed here is it's just every time I would go out to the forest and learn more and more from the local communities and the mycologists I work with here, it just really attracted me to stay here and be part of uh, helping to build up the community and connect. And like, it's, it's a special thing to be part of a mushroom community. You know, it's like, I kind of feel sometimes when I wake up, like, what did I do to get to be part of a community just to go out in the forest and like I'd rather be doing this than staying at a Ritz Carlton a lot of the time you know just like going out foraying and hanging out and eating mushroom food like there's 
there's nothing that can beat that. I think it's one of the most beautiful things. So, you, you know, you're in a really interesting position right now. We've discussed where you have this background working in labs and working with food labs. And, and now you're starting to really pivot towards going full time into your mushroom entrepreneurship or your mycopreneurship. So what are some of the realistic considerations that you've had? You know, have, have you just completely dove into it or you mentioned maybe you've spent a couple of months preparing for people who are listening, who are in a similar position where they know they feel called to go full time into their mushroom business. Maybe now it's a side hustle. And I think a lot of people want to make it their full-time hustle, but then there's the other side. That's the practicality of like needing to pay bills, needing to, you know, take a risk in a lot of ways. What has your kind of mental experience and your planning been like for taking your side hustle and making it your full-time gig moving forward? So I hate to be like this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint a real authentic picture that is not gonna make it seem as accessible as I, I might make it look. Like I want it to seem as accessible as possible, and believe me, I'm doing everything in my power to make sure it is. Um, but the only reason I'm able to do this is because I've been dedicated to this mission for my whole life. I come from a, a, two amazing parents who were the roses who came from the concrete. You know, the dedication that my parents had to become the people that they are and were led to me having the drive to move out to California while simultaneously earning a business degree, business degree flying back and forth every other weekend. Um, and so because of that, like I actually have a whole legitimate career in chemistry, doing analytical chemistry, science, specifically working on chromatography using HPLCs, LCMSs, GCMSs. And so actually, um, even though I helped Reggie and Ian develop the brand, develop these labs, develop these conferences, worked as the director of operations for Hyphae Labs. I actually, for the past year, pivoted that into working as a bioanalytical chemist for Bristol-Myers Squibb, a, a major biopharmaceutical company, where I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. You know, um, And I had to work a nine to five job for a year and stack up because I had laser focused vision that like, this mushroom shit is my life. This is 100% what I was gonna do. And back in 2018, when I was going to business school and talking to entrepreneurs who had made it, some of them were just real with me. They were like, look, chasing the dream sometimes looks like starting a business, you're not working out, going back to work, stacking up because you know what's not going to work, and then diving back in. And so to actually bootstrap my organization, to bootstrap my ideas and make sure that this is organically what I want it to become, I had to put in the time, I had to put in the work and actually work, 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 stack up so that I could have a little runway so that this summer when I knew the time was right, you know, I would be able to do that. But the idea that you can just like dive in and forget your responsibilities, well, I don't know if you know about the Bay Area of California, but it certainly ain't cheap, you know? And so realistically, it does look like focusing on what you are already good at focusing on what you have already developed and contributing to the world and then being laser focused and taking notes to like understand how it is you can put yourself into position to do the right things. And so for me, it looked like working at this biopharmaceutical company, which I would have never imagined, man. I'm like anti-pharmaceutical, anti this, but I thought, hey, I'm doing cancer research. At least it's not opioids or something. Um, and I actually learned a ton. I learned a lot about how corporate infrastructure works at these mega corporations with hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, 
It's night and day. I come from both ends of the spectrum when it comes to labs being completely well-funded and also having not even redundancy of instrumentation. Like we're just doing the best as we can with what we got to, oh, you got a problem? Throw money at it. It's crazy. And um, that was my path to getting ready for this. But it's also just dedication and understanding that like, yo, you're going to get knocked down, but just stay committed. And if you really trust the process, if you really just keep doing the thing, absolutely it can work out. Um, but there's no way I make it here without the support of community, without the support of friends and family. Like, like I said, me and Ian and Reggie met like four years ago and we still kick it. We're still kicking it. And that's, I, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't friends with these people. You know what I mean? So straight up, straight up, you know, there's something really noble in giving a lot of time, you know, being, around staying in the game and sometimes that doesn't look like the sexy internet entrepreneurship part sometimes that looks like getting a full-time job and i really in earnest started pursuing location independent entrepreneurship in the media space specifically really back in 2012 right so there's this idea of the overnight 10 year sensation where it's like it looks to some <laughs> people where they're like oh you just made it happen so quick it's like yeah but you didn't see 2012 13 14 15 you know right. what i mean and like there's a lot of years like i was teaching high school and similar to what you described like teaching high school wasn't my dream gig you know getting a lot of criticism from 14 year olds and you know having to show up and like that was tough, man, but I knew that it put me in a position to continue to hone my skills, to continue to stack. You know, I started a video production business with my wife on the side in 2017. So like, you know, having a lot of gigs, you know, I've worked some pretty gnarly gigs and some pretty thankless jobs as I'm sure many of us have, but like you stick with it and you stick with it. And then when something starts to open up and you start to build yourself some runway and you have some life experience, et cetera, like, that might put you in a good position to really pursue this. And it's something that I think is worth discussing. It's one of the premises of this podcast is like, yes, there's, if you want to be part of the mushroom industry, if you will call it that, or like make money off of it and be sustainable, doesn't mean you have to be this total cutthroat capitalist, but it means that you have to have some sense of business acumen and entrepreneurial acumen if you want to be sustainable. Because by the law of numbers, a lot of organizations, brands, companies, et cetera, are going to start. It's going to be really tough to make it past year three or year five or whatever. So it's good, you know, to paint a realistic picture. And by the same decree, there's nothing wrong with keeping it a side hustle. You know, if that's just like you don't have to be a mushroom entrepreneur or a micropreneur. It's something that a lot of people are interested in doing. So what is the you know best practices and the realistic portrait of what that looks like? I think you just painted a pretty, pretty good example of it for all of us. And we're getting now towards, I guess, the end of my line of questioning. I just tried to keep this real authentic and cool with you. Like I didn't prepare too many questions in advance because I just want this to be like a conversation between friends who are kind of on the same wavelength and a lot of cool stuff has come up. And the last question I always like to throw out there is what's coming next? You know, you mentioned that Haife is looking at an international festival in Jamaica or some series of events in the near future. You've got the DC conference. You're actively doing analytical testing. I'm sure you've got Mycozine issue five coming soon to a mailbox near you. I hope to get my copy in Denver. What else is going on for you over the next six to 12 months that people can look out for? You know, I'm, I'm really trying to, to lean into the mycozine and make sure I can develop this brand and hopefully, you know, start to establish the members of a team who can help me contribute in a meaningful way. Um, 
one of the biggest things that I've done as a, a marketing technique with the mycozine is to shout out people from different sides of the country so that we can really myceliate like grain to grain transfer. You know, dropping one point here, it might take a while to myceliate, but if I can hit people all over the world, we can really combine and do this together. And so actually, um, in terms of the hyphate cup, that's gonna be one of my major focuses. I'm gonna be pairing mycozine with uh, hyphate labs to structure the biggest cup we've ever thrown. Um, and we're gonna be having collection points all over the country and we're really gonna be looking into how it is we can take all of this data and make it into a meaningful and digestible set of information. Sometimes the science stuff becomes way over people's heads and I jokingly refer to scientists as fart sniffers, man. I mean, I got these degrees, I'm completely, uh, qualified in terms of this academic shit. I got a couple degrees and I I didn't get them in like easy subjects. I got a whole ass chemistry degree, you know? Um, but I don't believe that that information should be gatekept. I don't believe that that information should be reserved only for people who have some paper that says that, oh, I'm a scientist. No, man. Citizen scientists are totally what's up. And so I'm going to do my best to help support Ian with the Center for Mycoanalytics so that people can learn chemistry and understand better what's going on with these mushrooms so we don't walk down the same path of cannabis. So the main things are going to be look out for edition uh, five coming out at the, the Denver conference. Um, and I'm going to be building out my website and hopefully a Patreon where I can... Uh, have conversations about science and foraging and whatever's going on within the microverse. Um, but yeah, look out for the high fake cup because what we're going to be doing this year is going to be next level. And I uh, can't wait to just engage with more people in this community and talk about mushrooms, foraging, recipes, artwork. Like one of the things I kind of skipped out on is, dude, I found somebody who makes glass mushrooms. Like they make Artist designs in like studio stuff with mushrooms. This is a guy from St. Louis who paints mushrooms. It's way more than just the physical things. It's the idea and it's the ability to just come together. And so stay tuned. Go to themycozine at gmail.com. Send me an email with your, um, with your mailing info and I'll be sending you a copy. Follow us at uh, mycozine on IG. And yeah, just grow with us, man. Like like William Padilla Brown and Michael Symbiot says, let's grow. Let's fucking grow. Tomas, thank you so much for coming on the Michaelpreneur podcast. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Count me in as a continual supporter for the rest of the Mycozine career, wherever it goes, man. I can't wait to follow and see. And I'll, I'll see you in Denver very shortly, okay? Oh, all the love, brother. Like for real, this has been so awesome. And I'm mad grateful uh, that we got to do this. And uh, now that we got through the thing, we get to spark the Sarah celebration. Cheers. Thanks, everybody. Nice to have you all here. And go follow the Mycozine. You'll be seeing it on Mycopreneur as well. So peace, homie. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.